Our second reading of God's Word comes to us from Mark's biography of Jesus. We'll be reading in chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Listen for God's Word to you. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are beginning a new uh, series of messages uh, today um, called Uncluttered. And before, before, um, uh, before we get into that, I want to explain kind of why, why we're going to do this. What, what, what is the kind of idea behind the idea? And it has to do with what our mission is. And our mission is the same as really every church, that we've all been given the same commission by Jesus. And the way we word our mission statement is, it varies from church to church, but they all basically boil down to, to the same mission that we have, which is this. We help people trust Jesus for a better life. Uh, this is this is what we do, and you know the Methodists say it a different way. They say that they make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The Presbyterians say it at much more length, and I haven't committed that one to memory, but but um, it's it's in there, and um, uh, it takes about half a page. But but all churches basically have this same this same idea. So what do we mean by this? What is what does it actually mean to help people trust Jesus for a better life? Well, we have to begin with the idea of a better life. Um, Jesus says that we can have a better life. And and what most people do is they don't trust Jesus for a better life. Most people, uh, it, well, a lot of people, I don't know numerically, but a lot of people don't trust Jesus at all. They don't believe in Jesus. They tell you, you know, it's good you have your little invisible sky friend, but, but you know, I'll stick to rational facts here or something like that. But even people who do believe in Jesus, any people who believe there was a Jesus and they believe things about Jesus, they don't actually trust Jesus. Or if they trust him, they trust him for one thing. They trust him for a ticket to heaven. That when they die, Jesus will give them a ticket and they can get into heaven. And that's really all they trust Jesus for. That, that that's their, their whole belief system. Uh, I was talking to somebody, she was telling about a friend of hers who put it right out there. That's exactly what his plan was. He was, he was going to uh, convert to Christianity on his deathbed. He would get, you know, uh, he would slide into heaven and in the meantime, he could have all the fun he wanted. He could, you know, party and do drugs and, and rock and roll and, you know, everything else. That that was his strategy. And, you know, I have to tell you, theologically, he probably would, that would work. You know, I don't get to choose, right? I'm not the person who's making that decision. But when I think about the story of the thief who was on the cross next to Jesus, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. So he didn't reform his life. He didn't make any changes. He didn't make anything. He just simply said, you know, you know, that's all behind me now, and I wanted to get into heaven, and Jesus said, sure. So that's a strategy, and as far as I can tell reading the scripture, it actually works. But it's a shame, because it misses half of what Jesus has to offer. Because Jesus says, you don't have to wait to heaven to have eternal life. 
Jesus says, you can have the life of eternity, the, king, the same kind and quality of life you will have in eternity. You can have that now. He says, the kingdom of God has come near, and you can have that kind of life right now. So that's what we mean when we talk about a better life. We mean you can actually begin to experience the kind of life that you will have after you die, after the resurrection, when we're all living together in the new heaven and the new earth. That kind of life is available to people now who trust Jesus and put into practice what he teaches. He has connected us back to God. And so with our connection established, now that we are we are in a relationship with God, we can actually begin to experience that life right now. So that's what Jesus says we can have. But the problem is, it means change. You know, if you want the exact same kind of life you've got now, if you don't want a better life, if you want, you know, my current life, there's no change. That's easy. But if you want something different, you're going to have to make changes. That's hard. Change is always hard. So, so, um, so in order to, in order to get the kind of, uh, life we want, we have to, um, make changes. We have to put into practice what Jesus teaches. And so, we have to trust that that's going to be worthwhile because change is hard. Jesus says, trust me, this will work. And you're thinking, yeah, but I don't know if I want to go to the effort, right? I've got a pretty committed life right now. I've got all kinds of things I'm trying to accomplish right now. And I'm not sure if I want to make the effort. And ultimately, you just have to trust Jesus when he says, this is better. This is worth the pain. It's worth the effort to trust me so that you can have a better life. So that's that's what we do, and because that is hard, anyone who's ever dieted knows how hard that can be. We are a community of people who help us, to help others, to help everyone trust Jesus for a better life. So that's kind of the, the idea of what it is we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to help people practice what Jesus preached. So what did Jesus preach? Well, Jesus preached a lot of stuff. Jesus had all kinds of practical things that he talked about, and that's what this series is going to be about. We're going to, we're going to start looking at some very specific things Jesus taught about how we can have that better life. And the, the word for what that is, when you begin to put into practice the things Jesus taught, is a discipline. And unfortunately, nobody likes disciplines, right? A discipline is what you go to the principal's office because the teacher sent you there because you need some discipline, okay? It's what you get the phone call from HR, and they tell you you need to come down and talk to them because you're going to get disciplined, right? We don't like the idea of discipline, and if I got to pick the words, I would pick a different word here, okay? Because the discipline we're talking about is not that kind of discipline. It doesn't mean punishment. Discipline means study, we still have a little bit of this. You know, you, you know, people who are in college, you ask them, what are they studying? And they say, I'm actually doing an interdisciplinary thing. You know, I'm, I'm taking some stuff from, from underwater basket weaving and I'm combining that with medieval plumbing. And so I've got this, this interdisciplinary thing that I'm studying. And, you know, they're just going to weigh the thesis when I'm done. So, um, so. You know, we understand disciplinary has to do with studies, but, but unfortunately it still has this overtone of, of negative, uh, punishment. So, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna study disciplines. The, the disciplines are the practices that Jesus commended to his followers. So we're gonna, we're gonna do that. And people who, who study in the school of Jesus, people who study the discipline of Jesus are called disciples. So that's what we're gonna talk about, how we can be disciples. And what we're going to start with is uncluttering. And the reason for that is because uh, you're probably thinking, I know I would be thinking, um, if somebody said, hey, I've got a whole list of things. There's, you know, Jesus taught all kinds of things, and we're going to start putting those things into practice. You're probably thinking, there's no room. 
I've, I'm fully committed. I am at 98.9% and um, there's just no more room for any new things in there. So I can't take on any new challenges. Thank you very much, but no. And so, so what I wanted to do is start with the idea of uncluttering, how we can actually kind of sort out our lives a little bit so that we have room to put into practice some of the other things. So, so we're going to look at other things later during the year. I hope to, to preach on prayer and some of the other disciplines that Jesus has talked about. But to begin with, during January and part of February, we're going to be looking specifically at how we can get our lives uncluttered. So that's the idea today. And we're going to start with Sabbath keeping. And just to begin with, maybe a question for us is, um, uh, who here is good at Sabbath keeping? You know, who here has really knocking this out of the park? And before you answer, um, I have to tell you that coming to church on Sunday is not what I mean by Sabbath keeping. I mean, it's great that you do, but that's not what Sabbath keeping means. I mean, if, if, uh, if that's all it meant, then I would be, you know, a near perfect, uh, scorer. And I'm not. I'm, I'm really not good at Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping is taking a day off. Carving out time in your week and saying, this is a place where my life is going to be intentionally uncluttered. I'm going to leave room in my life for God to refresh me, to give me rest. And so, uh, it is to actually carve out that space. And, um, I wasn't really looking for a show of hands, but I don't know many people who are really good at this. If you are, you know, I, I, I commend you and I hope you can, you can maybe help the rest of us get better. So what I want to do, though, is I want to look at Jesus because he was an expert at Sabbath, and he's going to teach us a principle today as we look at this passage uh, for the very specific application of of uh, Sabbath. But remember, Sabbath is just one way we're going to look at the whole issue of uncluttering as a spiritual discipline. So um, if you have the scriptures ready, then um, we're going to start reading in um, chapter 2 of Mark's uh, biography, starting in verse 23. So, so um, oh... Ah, I have a great example, but I didn't think about it soon enough. All right, here's the great example. Did you see this in the newspaper? So um, uh, Anchorage school children need 45 minutes uh, for recess and eating, right? That's all the room they've got, right? They dropped it from an hour down to 45 minutes so that elementary school kids could get 45 minutes to eat and have recess in the course of their day. And I'm not criticizing. I don't know what other things they're balancing. But if you're wondering, when does a cluttered life start? You know, you know, as soon as they walk across the street, that's when your life starts getting so packed full of things that all you've got time for is 45 minutes. They, the, the articles go on. It's opinion pieces. They go on to explain where that time goes. And, you know, you're putting on your coats and, you know, taking off your coats and standing in lines and all the other things, right? So that 45 minutes isn't really uh, nearly enough, but that's all that they can find room for. So they've got they've got cluttered lives, and my guess is that most of us aren't able to shake it off after we finish uh, elementary school. So so we tend to be over overcommitted and overcluttered. So Jesus is going to teach us a principle that will help us enjoy Sabbath rest as an example of being an uncluttered uh, living an uncluttered, uncluttered life. So um, chapter 2 of Mark. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. Um, and some Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? They are breaking the law. That The, the idea is that the, the Sabbath covers harvest. There's actually a specific prohibition in the, in the Hebrew scriptures that says that even if it's harvest, even if you're worried about the, the rains coming and, you know, ruining the crops or whatever, it doesn't matter. Sabbath is still Sabbath. So there is a very clear injunction against harvesting on the Sabbath. 
However, there's also, this is actually a, a, a matter of some debate at the time, different rabbis taught different things because there's all kinds of places where the Hebrew scriptures explain that mercy comes comes first, that you, you should have uh, mercy on people. So Jesus responds, he, he, um, he responds to the Pharisees. Jesus speaks, uh, because he knows that they're not really asking why. He's not, they're not asking for where do you come down on this debate. They're criticizing. And Mark has, has set us up to see that because we've seen uh, a series of, of events, one after another throughout chapter two, where they criticize him. First of all, they, they criticize him because he healed a man who, who, um, was lame on the Sabbath. And then he dined uh, with the tax collector, and then he wasn't fasting properly according to their notions about fasting. And so they've been criticizing him one thing after another. So they're not really looking for, you know, where do you where do you land on this this question? They're simply finding a new thing to criticize him about. So if you've ever had somebody in your life like that, um, you know, somebody who just will not give you a rest, somebody who who is always critical, you know, you have great company. You know, don't don't feel like it's because you're such a bad person, because Jesus was a perfect person, and he had critics too. So so maybe that's some encouragement to you. But, but Jesus responds to them. When they say, why are your students such bad uh, observers of the law? They're basically saying, why are you such a bad teacher? Right? That's, that's the, the import of this question. So Jesus answers. He says, well, speaking of bad teachers, surely at some point during your education, you must have been exposed to the story about David and um uh, Ahimelech, the the high priest during the time of uh, the priest during the time of uh, Abiathar, who fed David not just any old bread, but the show bread, the the bread of the presence, which is uh, this special bread. There's all kinds of breads. If you go read the book of Leviticus, there's this kind of bread offering and that kind of bread offering. But the most holy bread of all was called the show bread. They would bake it every day. They would lay it out on on the altar for God to to look at or whatever. And then the next day they'd take it away and they put new bread out. And the priests would eat the old bread, yesterday's bread, and they had to eat it actually in the in the the sanctuary. They weren't even allowed to like take it home and make a sandwich or anything. It was that holy, so it's super holy bread. And 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 David is fleeing from Saul. Saul's trying to kill David, and David shows up at the at the priest um, in Nob and says, "Do you have anything to eat? My men and I are hungry." And the priest says, "says All I've got is the showbread." And then he thinks it over and he gives David. The showbread. So he rules as a priest. He says, "I'm I'm aware of all the law. I know the, I know the rules, and I'm going to come down on the side of mercy." That's the decision he makes as a priest. That that's the right way to do this. And he didn't even have the example of David and the and the high priest. All he had was just the the law itself. So Jesus is saying, "You've got the law. You could have come down in the same place that that uh, that uh, Ahimelech did, but you didn't." even though you, in addition to the law, also have the story of Ahimelech and how God blessed David throughout the rest of his ministry. So Jesus says, says you're a bad student. Don't tell me my students are bad. You're a bad student. Jesus throws it right back at them. And then he gives us this principle. He says, what is the principle at stake here? He says, how do you relate to the Sabbath? Do you see the Sabbath as a hoop you have to jump through? That God God has created a bunch of hoops. There's this obstacle course. And if you just successfully do all the, the things that God has laid out in front of you, then God will be pleased with you. He says, you have totally misread the purpose of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath is to give you rest. He says, that is the purpose of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. 
So that's the way Jesus explains it. He says that you should, you know, he, he, um, he goes on actually, he goes on and says there's an extra, extra, hmm, there's an extra thing that's at stake here. All right. I don't need any more slides. So, so he said, he said, thinking that he can get through this. So, um, so there is an extra point that Jesus makes. Jesus says that, um, that he's the, he's the author, right? If you're wondering how to interpret a particular book, you should talk to the author, right? If you can find out what the author, you know, your English teacher said Mark Twain was saying this, but wouldn't it be great to talk to Mark Twain, right? Cause then you'd actually know. He says the Son of Man is the interpreter of the Sabbath. So he says the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. But, but we don't even have to go there. He doesn't start there. He starts with this should be, this should be an obvious application that the Sabbath should be made for, so, um, he says that, that this should be an obvious application. You don't even have to go to, I'm the author of the book and I get to tell you what it means. He says this should be obvious just from the, the histories of Israel. So the lesson for us is that the Sabbath is made for people. It is designed to help us. We heard that in the book of uh, the Deuteronomy. We heard how the the the... The, the idea here is that you were a slave. When you're a slave, you don't get any rest. But God is not a slave driver. God wants you. God has established as a rule, not only you, but the people under your authority, your children, your, your servants, even your animals, they all get the day off. So that's, that's the idea. And you should be able to reason from that what is the point of the Sabbath. So the question is, how do we do it? And the answer is, we put it into practice. And that's hard. We have to, we have to start with with the idea that this is leading to a better life. And if your life is as cluttered as the average uh, elementary school uh, student, if your life is cluttered, you're saying, well, I don't know how I can do everything I need to do in the other six days. Jesus says, do you trust me? So how do you have a Sabbath? You have a Sabbath by taking a Sabbath. And I tell you this not because I'm an expert. I tell you this because the SPRC has actually been working with me, which is to say goading me and really challenging me to do it myself. You know, I I have a job and it's very hard for me to put it away one day a week. And especially, you know, I, I walk across the parking lot and here I am at work. It's so easy to get here. Um, so it's very easy for me to not have a Sabbath. And so the SPRC is actually coaxing me because it's not something I'm good at. But it's something that Jesus says is worth the effort. So take a day off. Take a day off and relax. Take a day off and read a book. Turn off your devices. Unplug. You know, play a game. Uh, 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 take a walk. Enjoy something that you wouldn't do as Sabbath activity. Because Jesus says God doesn't want you to think of him as a slave driver. God doesn't want you to, to feel like you're being squeezed. So that's the lesson for us. But there's a, there's another lesson really which is don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee to yourself. You know, if your dog needs feeding on, on the Sabbath, you know, as we heard about, if your dog needs feeding, feed the dog, right? Don't be a Pharisee about the, don't, don't be a legalist about applying this law, right? Your dog doesn't know it's a special day, right? So go ahead and feed the dog. But, but also don't be a, a Pharisee to other people. You know, it's so easy to look at, you know, if this is an area where you, you are one of the people who, you know, I'm killing this. I'm, I'm awesome at Sabbath, right? And you're, you're hearing, you know, well, Pastor Luke's not so good at it. You know, he's not a very good, you're not a very good uh, example for the young or whatever, right? Don't be that kind of person. Don't look at other people and say, I'm good at this. You're bad at it. And say, say, you know, um, 
you're not, you're not a good Christian because you don't do Sabbath right or you don't do any of the other disciplines we'll look at. Don't be that kind of Pharisee. Instead say, say that this is something where maybe I can pray for them, maybe there's some way I can help them. And before you plunge in with the help, I will just add this one other thought. There's a pastor I admire named Jim Bergen and he says, he says, before you help people, if you're in a community of faith that's more than about two or three people, right? If you're in any kind of church context, you should not be quick to help people with problems you don't have, right? He says, unless you can put a me too somewhere in the sentence, don't offer people advice. If you can put a me too in, that's great. Because then you can say, look, I see you're struggling with the Sabbath. Me too, right? I'm struggling with it, but here's the things I've learned. I started doing this and it makes it easier. I rearranged my schedule and that makes it easier. If you can put a me too in, that's a great way to give people advice and encouragement. But we need the encouragement. Our purpose as a church is to help people trust Jesus for a better life. Because making changes and trusting Jesus is not always easy. But what Jesus promises us is a better life. And during the next few weeks, we're going to be learning about how we can have a more uncluttered life. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we thank you for, we thank you for the challenge that, that the disciplines present us. Because, um, it is hard, and uh, it, it strikes right at our ability to trust you. So, Lord, we thank you for putting us into a community of faith that can encourage us, that can that can come alongside us and, and give us uh, tips, and maybe sometimes to to give us a nudge when we need one, uh, Lord. But we thank you for the teaching of Jesus that that this is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. It's something that we are allowed to do because you are God who loves us and does not want to burden us. We pray our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.